0: Project Green with Bobby Kerr. With thanks to ESB Networks. Connecting you to a clean electric future. ESBnetworks.ie
1: Now, this is Project Green with Bobby Kerr. We're continuing to explore sustainability within business and discussing the steps industries are taking to reduce their carbon footprint. This week, it's all about building an infrastructure. To talk to me about what the industry is doing and what it could be doing moving forward in attempts to get carbon neutral. I'm delighted to be joined today by Christina Ravich. She's the Managing Director of KRA Renewables. Pat Barry is the CEO of the Irish Green Building Council. And Fergus Wheatley is the Managing Director for Smart Power. You're all very welcome to the programme. We might start off uh, with you, Christina, and maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself and KRA Renewables, if you would.
0: Thanks, Bobby. Yeah, it's great to be here with you today, and it's a great series, so delighted to participate. Um, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Chartered Buildings Fair and Chartered Project Manager. I spent most of my working life in uh, the property and construction industries. Uh, I ha- set up KRA Visionary Project Partners in 2000. More recently, after becoming increasingly concerned about sustainability and where the world was heading, Uh, We set up KRA Renewables in 2018 with a focus primarily on initially on helping our existing clients with commercial buildings to make their buildings more sustainable, whether that might be by introducing renewables or looking at energy efficiency or looking at biodiversity aspects of what they do okay and um yep that's it it's grown quite considerably and we're we're involved in a lot of different things now
1: all right well that's interesting to hear your experience and indeed you know where your your journey i suppose within the building industry and the fact that you know sustainability and and businesses needing to get sustainable you know creates its own business momentum so well done to you christina Stand by. i'm going to bring introduce our second guest now he's pat barry he's the ceo of the Irish Green Building Council, Pat. You're very welcome to the programme. Tell us firstly a little bit about the Irish Green Building Council, what you do, who your members are, etc.
2: Good morning, Bobby, and Bobby, uh, and thanks for uh, inviting me. Uh, the Irish Green Building Council launched uh, 10 years ago. Um, we're a membership organisation, and it's very much about enabling the transition to a, um, a carbon, uh, carbon-neutral built environment. Uh, we have members, 230 corporate members, right across the entire value chain of construction and that includes everybody from the people who finance construction right through to the architects and engineers who design the buildings the um the contractors the building material manufacturers and what we do is it's all about education communication we run a number of programs we run a, an environmental product declaration program which is about enabling construction manufacturers to be completely transparent about the carbon footprint of their products. We run a certification system for homes, which goes beyond just energy efficiency and looks at the whole impact that homes have on the built environment. Certification,
1: is it? Yeah. Yes. So, So is that self-certified or how does that work?
2: Well the way it works is uh, it's uh, the home performance index is a set of uh, 30 indicators cover- covering everything from biodiversity to embodied carbon and materials to the quality of oversight on right. the construction site and they have to submit to us evidence of all of that they've met all of our criteria and if they meet the criteria then we certify that they've met
1: Now I want to bring in our third guest He's Fergus Wheatley, he's the Managing Director of Smart Power. Good morning to you, Fergus. Good morning, Bobby. That's now, you're a, an energy conservation man. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm all, so, about, all about the energy. Um, right, so talk to us about what you do, Fergus, yeah. uh, and how you do it, if you
3: would. Yeah, essentially, Smart Bar does three things. One, we do energy studies and energy audits. So we go into a place and we'd, we'd start going through the plant rooms and um, the offices and the hotel or whatever, and we'd identify energy... Uh, areas of energy wastage and ways of doing things a little bit better. Right. And then the second thing we do is we'd help those companies or other companies get grants for their energy upgrades. And then finally, we'd look at how best they buy their energy. So we'd, we'd try and get their, their unit cost down in both gas and electricity.
1: Right, okay. Let's, we'll come back to that in a second because yeah. I think that's a very interesting part of this discussion. Maybe going back to you, Christina, Um, if we look at the impact that the building industry might have on the environment, would I be right in saying that demolition is probably the biggest offender in terms of, you know, we knock down buildings, the cement goes to landfill uh, or wherever it goes, and that's the biggest waste generator, or am I incorrect in that?
0: No, absolutely. You're absolutely correct. And I suppose to date we've had a very linear model in the construction world in that we build we occupy, we demolish, and everything that was in that building is, you know, goes to landfill. That was the traditional model. We now have certain regulations about reducing um, waste to landfill, and we are improving. But what we really need to move towards is a completely circular model. And as I always say, the most sustainable building is the one that already exists. So instead of demolishing buildings that are already there, finding alternative uses for them if they're no longer suitable for the use they were originally built for and maintaining the fabric of the building, including all the embodied carbon that's in it um, and and reusing it rather than demolishing it. And but You're one, right, yeah, construction but, waste is a massive problem globally.
1: And is one of the issues around this challenge, Christina, that it's actually cheaper in many cases to knock a building and build a new one. Like, do we just follow the money here to to follow the logic?
0: Yeah, I think think that is the issue that obviously anybody who's undertaking development is doing that, except for the state, primarily for uh, profit reasons. And at the moment, in many cases, you can put more square footage onto a site if you demolish what's there and build new. And or you can um, make it say for offices, you can put higher floor to ceiling height, so you make it a more desirable space, Um, I think the only way we're going to be able to really adjust that and change that is by. um, carrot and stick and it'll be one or the other, either putting in um, demolition uh, taxes, so that you pay more if you're demolishing a building than you do if you keep the building that's there um, or putting in gains whereby perhaps a, a developer is incentivized to retain existing building and fabric.
1: Well, that's a good suggestion. What would you make of that suggestion, Pat? Um, what, what, like in terms of, you know, if if we carrot and stick there, as Christina said, you know, the Irish Green Building Council, if you're members, you know, because I, I, I do think that, you know, we have to face the reality that we live in a commercial world and people will do things for commercial reasons. So, if there was an incentive uh, to, pre- to to preserve and not to waste, surely that would be a good thing.
2: Yeah, and a number of um, our, our countries in Europe are already looking at that. Uh, looking at this, if you take Denmark, they if you retain a building on the site then you're offered a density bonus on the rest of the site so you can expand the amount of area that you can build. So that offers an incentive to retain buildings and avoid demolition. Um, And I know a number of uh, local authorities in the UK um, are really actively discouraging demolition. So even in in the new London Development Plan, you're now required to provide circularity plans um for all larger buildings you have to provide a circularity plan showing how that building is designed for future adaptability future use so it's all part of the planning consent process now in in many countries so it's going to be yeah it's going to be um carton stick um we will start to see um Carbon tax rising, and that'll affect the cost of materials. So, avoiding materials going to or avoiding having to purchase new materials um, is going to be an incentive that is going to um, it, it. It's going to force developers to look at avoiding having to build new if they can. And if we look
1: at it. the cost of things like timber now and steel, surely that again would say that you know, as the costs of those materials are rising, it makes absolute sense to recycle them and to, to, rather than, you know, buying new ones.
2: Absolutely. And I suppose the, the, the main issue is to get over the issues around standardisation. So, for example, there's a number of European projects at the moment that are looking at how we can, if we're taking down a building, say a precast structure, how we can actually take the precast slabs out, bring them to a remanufacturing plant, uh, retest them, make sure that they have all this, still have the structural strength that are required. And basically they resell those Holocaust labs as new or wall units. They fit them out with new windows. Uh, that's happening, is it? Yeah, it's a number of pilot projects happening across Europe to start this process of getting the circular economy yeah. going. So instead of demolishing buildings, we're literally uh, disassembling them and then uh, remanufacturing those components and selling them back into the industry. What a industry. great idea.
1: If that, if that, uh, Fergus, sorry for, for, for <clears throat> not bringing you back in there, but when you go into a building, uh, as you do on many days of, in the course of your work, and you look at the energy usage and indeed wastage, are you often shocked by what you see?
3: Yeah, uh, well, I'm kind of quite used to it now. Um, a lot of stuff tends to be kind of repeats. The same mistakes are made over and over. For example, um, a building when it was originally designed and built, it might have been designed to kind of support the call center function. So all the HVAC, all the air going into that building is there to kind of cater for people that maybe um, one person every eight square meters. And of course, when the building actually gets fitted out and people use, there might be a, a third or a quarter or a tenth of the number of people in that building. But all the air handling equipment is still all working to support the people that aren't there. And it's invisible. People kind of see the lights when you turn off the lights, oh yeah, it's grand. But in the meantime, you're pushing too much air into that space. So you have to heat that air or you have to cool that air. And it's just insane. Um So th- th- the somebody, the way- could have
1: a, somebody could have an energy bill in uh, quoting the example that you're citing there. Yeah. Uh, like a staggering energy bill that they don't actually, uh, and all it would be, is turning off a few switches possibly or or
3: Yeah, it's yeah, the equipment is there. It's very easy to turn down equipment or replace kind of fixed speed pumps with kind of variable speed. So you say, Okay, how many people are looking there? Okay, let's put a CO two sensor into it and measure the number of people in that space and let's bring the amount of air into that space that's actually needed. The same thing is some of the equipment that went into these these offices or these kind of hotels, you know, is ten or fifteen years old. So the efficiency of that equipment is it is quite poor, and it's really, really poor at giving partial load efficiency. So a chiller might be again designed for your um, conference or for your call center, and it runs very efficiently when it's pushing that amount of air and energy into a space. But suddenly you need only a tenth of that load, yeah. and the and the, the poor old chiller doesn't have a hope because it's it's just not designed for that. So we can take that out and put a kind of newer, smaller unit into it, that it would actually match the real load. To, to the unit. And,
1: and can I ask you this? Is Do you often find that there's a reluctance to invest in capital expenditure uh, on the basis that, you know, and then people are paying these crazy bills, whereas if they bought something, you know, that would obviously pay back in a number of years, yeah. that, that people don't see the math sometimes.
3: Yeah, they also, they also get used to their bills. Yeah. They say every month we're paying 20 grand. And, yeah. You know, and their business is selling weddings or selling insurance or selling. Yeah. So sometimes energy is a really, really small part of the overall equation. Yeah. So, so people just get used to the bills and you know, like I'd come in or colleagues would come in and we'd look at a place and say, look, you need to, you know, upgrade this. And there's kind of a lot of scepticism sometimes about what you need to do. And some of the paybacks are excellent. Um, but one of the frustrations I find is that it's all about, oh, we have to have a three year payback. And, uh, you know, it's quite that's quite disheartening for me because I say, well, you know, yeah. a four year payback still gives you 25 percent return on your money, yeah, uh, you and know, it's still a payback and it's still a payback. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it's also helping with the, the environmental, social um, governance side of things as well. So, um, but, uh, you know, our job sometimes is also to persuade people to do the right thing and then kind of say, OK, look, if you do this, we can help you get a grant. And the grant is very good. Not. Yeah, the money is nice, and that's what people focus on. But what a grant does, it also kind of um, validates yeah. what you say. So if I write a report and that goes through a whole grant process, there is a, other experts looking at that that report, and they say, "Yeah, that's correct." Right. So it so it gives so it gives the financial controller at the other side of it, um, yeah, kind of a comfort that yeah, I'm just not talking out of my hat. <laughs>
1: Okay, stay with us. Um, now, I want to just reintroduce my guests. I'm delighted to be joined this morning uh, by Christina Ravitch. She's the Managing Director of KRA Renewables. Pat Barry is the CEO of the Irish Green Building Council and Fergus Wheatley is the Managing Director of Smart Power. Christina, if I could go back to you. And um, I was reading something recently about uh, the cradle-to-cradle philosophy. Could you explain that a little bit more to me?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um Cradle-to-cradle cradle really means that instead of having the old linear model whereby we uh, make, use, and then waste, uh, in a cradle-to-cradle cradle system, you make, use, and at the end of life, the product is upcycled into a better, better product. And we have lots of materials out there already that follow the cradle-to-cradle cradle principle. Pat will be able to confirm this via the EPDs that are being produced for them. But, for example, many of the um, carpet manufacturers are now providing cradle-to-cradle products whereby they take back your carpet tile when it's lifted off the floor, and the carpet tile you're putting down is made entirely from recycled materials using renewable energy sources. So that's a very simple example of cradle-to-cradle. Yeah, yeah.
1: It it it's, Pat, you might just tell us more about that as well. Is it is it something, like isn't isn't an awful lot of this around convenience? Like if I'm a carpet manufacturer, and it's easy for me to take back carpet and it's easy for me to reintegrate it into new carpet, then I'll do it. But if there are all sorts of complicators along the way, stuff doesn't happen. Would that be fair to say? well well
2: that's it. well that's true and that's one of the issues that we need to get um we get need to get past uh, so for example in the reuse of materials we need to know exactly what was in the material in the first place because before you can recycle it you need to know what ingredients were there so it's all about having the data on the chemicals that are in it before you can um 10 years later say that material is safe to recycle into a new material um, so this is where the whole concept of building material passports comes from. We need to be much better at retaining information on the materials that are in our buildings, the standards they were produced to, the ingredients in them, so that we know in five years' time, okay, that uh, we have to take this these uh, products out of our building and we're going to remanufacture them so we we have all the information on the standard they were built to. So, for example, a simple example is if we've got tempered glass in a building and we have to take it out, we need the only the only way we can check whether it was tempered sometimes is by breaking it. So you need to have the data sheet that shows that it was tempered okay. so that it can be reused again. So a lot of the barriers are really about um, digitization and holding records of Everything that's in a building, building digital twins of the. And who
1: does that? Who who's the record keeper of buildings, or who should be the record keeper?
2: Well, it should really start from the very beginning when the architect designs the building, and we're moving towards building information modelling, where we create a complete um, model of the building, a complete digital. We should be moving towards this in any case, a complete digital twin of the building, Um, within that digital model, we can tag everything in the building, every product that then, as soon as the building is finished, that should be handed over to the facility manager um, because these models should be detailed enough that you can change the ventilation systems and see what impact that has on the indoor air quality. Um, So the facility manager should be using it as a tool to better manage So this is currently
1: happening, is it? Uh, At the higher end. Yeah, so if you look at You know, huge, big projects like those Google buildings in Ballsbridge or whatever it is. That will be when they're handed over, there'll be a a, a digital model of same with every spec, every detail.
2: I can't say that it's quite there yet. Right. That's where it's moving towards. Okay, so that's That's very interesting. So you have a virtual model of the building that you can tweak and change and that. That should then get handed over every time the building changes. Um, now, at, at a simpler level, we're looking at building renovation passports for homes where, where the same thing happens, where where um, the, the homeowner holds on to a, a digital logbook. And so every time he carries out an intervention to the house, say, for example, he insulates one of the walls. Um, when he sells the house the next time, the next homeowner doesn't know what's been done to the house, so uh, it's really important to maintain these records so that if you are you're if you're want to do a net zero carbon renovation of your home, you need to know what's been done already and you need to have a plan of how you're going to get to the next step, so everything needs to join up your insulation in your attic needs to join up with the insulation in the walls you need to know what's in the walls what's in the attic, what type of glass is in the windows.
1: But everybody, like the regular joe may not be interested in that level of detail. Is that again one of the one of the challenges.
2: Yes, well I think what we need to move towards is a, a more sophisticated building energy rating where we also attach a logbook, um a digital logbook where the homeowner is loading up every time an electrician say carries out works to the house that he uploads the recy cert into a, a logbook every time the windows are replaced. A bit like your
1: car where you have a yeah. you, you you know you have a thing in the in the glove compartment and Every time the mechanic does a service, he notes exactly it on what went in and what came out, and that. Uh, <clears throat> Fergus is is is. Does that make sense, or do, are you when oh, you he,
3: hear B R ratings and stuff? Yeah, I'm, I'm on that page as well. Um, I tend to kind of talk to facilities managers a lot, um, and I also know that, you know, people's eyes glaze over when they talk about <laughs> yeah. kind of plumbing systems and and electrics and stuff. They just want <laughs> stuff to work. But no, it is important, and um, it helps. It helps my job when I come into somewhere and there's good records. You know, I can help. say, so, oh, identify stuff. Yeah. Say, look, that needs to be upgraded, or or whatever. Um, and it's it's not actually that difficult to do. Like, you know, it's a portal, and just upload what you need. Very much like the be your sort.
1: Can I ask you and, as well, Fergus, if if. You know, if solar power is, is so efficient and so good, why isn't there solar panels on every roof on every building in the country? Uh just well, if if if, if well, like why yeah. do some people embrace it and others don't? In fullers you know most people don't.
3: Yeah, it's just kind of you know, solar power is one of those technologies that the the price has been coming down. There was a bit of a blip this year, but essentially so the, the solar thermal, now I used to do a lot of solar thermal. Solar thermal 15 years ago was going gangbusters and everybody was putting it up on the roof and then we had a crash and of course everybody stopped putting it up on the roof. So now, now the technology is solar fo- photovoltaics, solar PV and it's getting to the stage where it actually does pay and it pays back in about five years. But then there's, not every roof is suitable um, and not every homeowner wants the hassle of actually putting it up. Right. and again energy is still quite cheap in the overall scheme of things so you know so it's not a, it's, it's not a, it's all right up there in people's priorities and do
1: you think that if energy costs continue to rise as they are that it will by but by, by de facto force more people to consider other options such as solar if the energy prices keep rising
3: well I'm. I i do not subscribe to the fact that energy costs are going to keep rising. I think we're we've hit a bit of a peak at the moment.
1: Right. And we're going well, to Well, that's
3: come, good to hear. Yeah, we're uh-huh. going to start dropping again quite soon. Um, yeah, but that's saying there's been a kind of a number of things that's happened in the market that the price of electricity has taken a step change up. So what's I mean the prices I see are kind of power stations get paid twenty five cents a kilowatt hour for their electricity. That's short term. That's going to come back down to come kind of more re- realistic levels. But there has been maybe a kind of a, a third of an increase in overall power. Like for, in businesses, used to be able to buy electricity for about 12 cents a kilowatt hour. Now that's going to jump up to kind of about 16 or 17, kind of going forward long term. Of course, that changes paybacks and everything. Yeah. So, um, and it's all about the jingling. You know, people look and say, okay, if we do this, we'll get our money back in, in X amount. Homeowners are the same. So there is going to be a step change in the cost of electricity. I see it five, eight years out that it's going to be kind of, re- and then it's going to come back down again as, as the grid has gone to 100% renewable.
1: But do you ever see a day that, you know, in maybe 10 years' time that you'd see, like, wind energy, solar energy on every house and every building in the country? Or
3: I, I see in 10 years' time that we will have 100% green grid. Right, which and that's pure by cost, um wind is coming down in price, solar is coming down in price, and batteries are coming down in price, and they're all coming down in price extremely you know, extremely aggressively, so everybody won't have a solar panel on their house, but everybody will be getting a hundred percent green electricity right, and gas will be gas you get carbon taxes, so people will be moving away from gas boilers and putting heat pumps into into their houses. So although everybody won't have a solar panel, everybody will be 100% green.
1: Okay. Christina, can I put the same question to you maybe in terms of looking down the road? What what, what sort of landscape do you see, you know, if everything goes well?
0: Absolutely. Yes. Um, what I might just to follow on on the solar PV and perhaps in the context of commercial buildings, I think it might be quite interesting to give you a little case study for, for one of our clients that we've been working with yeah. since actually the business, the renewables business started and that's Nissan Ireland and it took, uh, we had a a leader there, the MD who was very interested in sustainability but didn't know where to start and we started off year one with their head office building, we did an analysis as to its suitability for rooftop solar PV um, and we installed that which is producing around 38% of their electricity and power needs for the building together with um, electric vehicle chargers. The financial director, and I think this is interesting for businesses to hear, the financial director took a lot of persuading for all the reasons that that Fergus has just said, payback and so on and so forth, and how does it make sense for the business, until the day the system went live and he could look at the inverters and see the amount of electricity being generated for the building, and he could see in front of his eyes the bills reducing yeah. Um, this year, we've inst- uh, we've done work across five buildings in their portfolio, including two more solar PV rooftop installations, the installation of solar film to their head office building to reduce passive solar gain, additionally, v chargers and LED lighting upgrades across their portfolio. And again, it's it's an example of how you can build with one client who is clean and wants to move forward a great move to reducing their overall emissions. And I would add also the thing that we haven't spoken about so far is the biodiversity side, which I think is equally critical. Well, let's chat
1: about that now then. Let's chat about it.
0: Yeah, well, we're not just in a climate emergency. We're in a biodiversity emergency also. And there's lots that can be done in the existing built environment. I suppose the first thing is to avoid building on greenfield sites so wherever possible if you're building new build it on a brownfield site build it on existing developed land rather than greenfield land yeah but secondly on existing business parks there's loads that can be done so for example out in swords business campus we've put a swift nesting box project fixed to the walls of the buildings there in conjunction with birdwatch island We've also introduced beehives onto the estate, and we've done work with the management company to make the planting and the landscape management greener. So reducing the use of pesticides, cutting less often, leaving certain areas to go completely wild, and putting up signage so that the people who occupy the business park understand that this is a plan um, for sustainability rather than just leaving areas unkempt and messy.
1: Right. And and if we talk about some of those examples that you you cite there, Christina, like beehives and you know uh, birds and stuff, that's obviously then a, that that infuses into the culture of the business so that you know employees can see that there's hives on the roof or whatever it is, and it it, it, it absolutely it, it plays into the wider agenda of 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 the business being sustainable, doesn't it?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, what we're finding is that there's a huge receptivity amongst employees and people who work in businesses and also investors who want to see this kind of initiative happening.
1: Yeah. Pat, if I could go back to you um, and, you know, again, looking at this as a business perspective, the whole thing around the grid, and I don't want to get too technical here, uh, but if businesses are able to sell energy they don't need, putting it very simply, uh, isn't that something that would encourage a lot more uh, moves towards renewables?
2: Yeah, it would certainly help. Um, and that's why we need to introduce a feed-in tariff um, that gives a, a, a price for exported electricity. But I suppose there's other reasons, uh, um, ESG reasons, why businesses now are all talking about going net zero carbon Um they, they it it's not just the, it's the it's the actual benefits of um communicating that they're net zero is becoming really huge particularly if you're looking for investment from large investment funds um
1: all of the large developers are now ha- reporting
2: on their sustainability
1: and can i ask you just this because I, this is just a skeptic in me how can we prevent you know Big developers greenwashing the scenario here and talking about sustainability and still dumping thousands of tons of concrete into landfill. If you know, just being honest about it and being straight about it. Well, I suppose it is
2: starting to be tightened up. The EU has introduced the EU taxonomy regulations, and, and this is about um, uh, if you're going to, for a green investment, if you're going to, um, the, so. In order for investment to be considered green, it has to meet certain criteria. And that includes, um, you know, that it's actually more energy efficient than the local code. If it's a large development, you have to carry out embodied, if it's over 5000 square metres, you have to carry out uh, an embodied carbon calculation. Um, You have to be water efficient yeah, it do no harm principles of not impacting on biodiversity. So it's beginning to be tightened up at a regulatory level. You can't just say you're you're green. For example, in France now they've introduced regulations where you can't state uh, that your product is green unless you back it up with evidence through
1: environmental product declarations. Is that right? And and do you see that? Do you see that coming, like happening wider across the European Union?
2: Yeah, that as well as part of the Green Deal, Europe is really starting to push the um, environmental, you know, reduce producing new forms of materials uh, from the bioeconomy, um, and you can see France are really starting to be leaders in this area because they introduce regulations on embodied carbon, and now they've, they're they're now becoming leaders. Say, for example, in things like hemp production, production and bio based grass-based installations and um, so we can learn a lot from them in terms yeah. of building new businesses and new materials
1: um Fergus, if I could go back to you yeah. and ask you about uh, you know I suppose heating and uh, I suppose the move to you know heat exchange heat pumps that kind of stuff um just just is there is, should there be a reason why more businesses are not uh, endeavoring To heat their premises uh, and use heat in that way as opposed to the traditional boiler system.
3: Yeah, with the traditional boiler system, it's very simple. You put a boiler in, you turn (laughs) it on and you get heat. Um, And they tended to be much cheaper in the past. Gas is generally cheaper than electricity. Right. And so the tradition has always been we put a gas boiler in and we put radiators or fan coil units in to kind of, you know, heat the air going into the buildings or heat the buildings themselves. Um, so with simplicity, it's simplicity. Everybody knows that there's been tons of experience. There's loads of kind of infrastructure there to, to support that. With carbon taxes, on particularly on gas, that's kind of pushing. And also with the ESG stuff, that's really pushing people towards kind of, okay, let's take the borders out and put heat pumps. But, um you and even on the taxonomy side of things there's a lot of buildings that are coming along so gosh you have to get to net zero and the only way you can do that is is to put heat pumps into our buildings but then you take somewhere like harcourt street and you just look now that's full of gas and oil boilers so we said oh how do we put heat pumps in every single building and you don't have the, the electricity infrastructure in there to support all of that so so now is okay how do we you know the first couple of buildings is easy enough to do because you know they'll just take all the all the um, the great kind of. But if if you took
1: just to just to follow yeah. through on your example, if you took the the street of Harcourt Street yeah. and you said right, we want every every building here to have a, a heat exchange rather than boilers. Yeah. What would what would have to be done physically to the street to
3: to 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 make that happen? Yeah, okay. There'd be some great support, so there'd be a bit of digging up and putting new wires in, but the. But the real the real thing would be just the batteries. Essentially big batteries. Now the cost of batteries is coming down. So as in a couple of years time, we'll start seeing big battery banks coupled to coupled to kind of um heat pumps to kinda of heat buildings. So you'll charge the battery at three in the morning when the cost of electricity's you know, very cheap or yeah. zero or negative. And then we'll use that, heat, that 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 energy we've stored to kind of push the heat into the building when it's actually needed. Yeah. So that that's how that's how we get past the grid stuff. Okay, but but it's not straightforward.
1: No, I I I I wasn't trying to oversimplify yeah. it there, but I I was trying to to understand the logic of yeah. because I I really do think, and I've said it at the start of the podcast that if you follow the money here, if you can make things convenient and less hassle. And there can be a financial gain, whatever it is, Well, then, that's, that's the way to encourage well, change.
3: Well, even picking up on Christina's <clears throat> point about um, putting beehives and um, nesting boxes everywhere. By just taking your your grass uh, that you have to cut once a week <coughs> and you turn that into a wildfire meadow in a building. Well, you, you know, cut that once a year. So there's cost savings there. So a lot of stuff you have to do to be green, you know, pays you know brings back green in other ways
1: yeah um christina can I ask you about you, you mentioned sustainable property green leases green management what do you mean by these when when you talk about a green lease
0: yeah so effectively um in a green lease the parties at the beginning of the lease enter into certain agreements between the landlord and tenant uh, in relation to sustainability and, and the building, it's not my area of operations, but I know that increasingly um, tenants are looking for green leases and landlords are looking to, to give green leases. So there And would it effectively be... governs the relationship.
1: Yeah, so there would be, sorry. sorry, I didn't mean to cut across you. I just, I, as I understand it, then there would be conditions within the lease that the landlord would have to, whatever it is, put in a nesting box or the tenant would have to use a particular type of power or that those type of things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And are we seeing more evidence of that? Is that something that's.
0: that's Yeah, no, definitely there's more evidence of that. And um, just going back to your issue that you asked about cost. And and yes, it's absolutely true that we have to cost incentivize people to, to do these things. And of course, on the other side, as, as I'm sure we're all very aware, there's the cost of not doing this and where we end up. So um, what I think the government needs to be doing is putting in place easier incentives for people, because the current grant system, as I'm sure Fergus would um, concur, is quite quite complicated, quite difficult to access. That's why we didn't ask him
1: to explain it, because we thought we'd be here all day.
3: And you would be.
0: Yeah. But um, yeah, but in terms of just getting back to your green property, there's absolutely no doubt at all that we are seeing huge change, a sea change in the way, um, for instance, we've been asked uh, last year for the first time ever, we were asked for sustainability due diligence for an investor buying a building rather than just the standard technical due diligence Um, We're doing sustainability sinking fund assessments for clients Mm -hmm. where they're looking 10 years ahead and saying, what's our sustainability plan for this campus, for this building, for this portfolio, and how are we going to get there? What money do we need to set aside now to allow for that plan to be implemented over 10 years? And I would say three years ago, there wasn't the engagement. Now people are actually coming to us and saying, we as a company across all our operations in Ireland, want to get to net zero emissions. How do we do that? Help us to find a plan and a pathway.
1: Yeah. maybe last word to you, Pat. Uh, Pat Barry, CEO of the Irish Green Building Council. You know, the the time is now, surely. We're looking at Glasgow uh, at the moment. We're looking at the world talking about sustainability. We're looking at everybody talking about the crisis uh, that is around climate change. Surely now is the time to to strike in terms of of paving a way forward in the building and uh, infrastructure business that 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 we can we can herald real change. Yes, uh, we
2: just commissioned a, a study from UCD to actually work out what the real impact of the built environment is uh, on uh, on Ireland's emissions, and it comes to about thirty five percent of total emissions in Ireland. We normally think of agriculture as 37%. So it's up there with agriculture. And and we we hadn't realised that. So we've got immense ability to reduce carbon emissions in Ireland by looking at everything, looking at the operation of buildings, but also the embodied carbon, the materials that are going into the buildings. And we can really make uh, deep changes and deep cuts over the next 10 years in those emissions.
1: Okay, well, look, it's a fascinating subject. And I could talk all day about it, but I've really enjoyed uh, the conversation this morning. And thank you uh, all three for letting me into your world. I'd like to thank uh, Christina Ravitch, the Managing Director of KRA and Renewables. Pat Barry is the CEO of the Irish Green Building Council. And Fergus Wheatley, Managing Director of Smart Power. Thanks very much. Thank you. Now, a huge thanks to all my guests on the third episode of Project Green. Make sure to subscribe at Newstalk.com or through the Newstalk app powered by Goloud. Next time we're going to be looking at the sustainability of technology. So look out for that. Take care and thanks for listening.
0: Involved. ESPNetworks.ie.